1: I'm so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, Music Masters Collective hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge. Mark Ribot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, but spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com backslash inside to learn more.
2: This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast. A songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Musician's Brain. I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi, from the infamous String Dusters, and it feels great to be back on the air getting the podcast going again. I've had a bit of a hiatus since the last episode aired. That was episode 10 from season one featuring Tom Hamilton. That episode aired on Tuesday, March 10th, two days before the live music world took an indefinite hiatus and were still on hold That was Thursday, March 12th, the day the music stopped, and a day that I will not soon forget. It has been quite a wild ride since then, as we're sort of hurtling into this unprecedented time that has affected the music world, especially the live music world, immeasurably. There's a ton to talk about. There are a ton of different aspects of that to unpack, and not just from a musical perspective, also from a human perspective— it's just been incredible to see how this has affected all of the people in my orbit, not just the musicians. So we'll get into talking more about that in the intro today, and that is an obvious topic that will hit with probably all the guests this season in one way or another. And we really have an incredible lineup of guests coming together for season two. It's been great getting these interviews going again. I learned so much from everyone that I'm lucky to sit down and chat with. And it's not all doom and gloom. We've got some hilarious and insightful stories from the past musicians talking about where they came from what their music is all about how it comes together and as always we'll be taking a close look at the string dusters world our music our process and we may even get some string dusters on the show so stay tuned for everything that's coming up check us out on apple podcasts leave a review subscribe all that good stuff We actually have two great guests later on in today's episode. I'll sit down with Rick and Peter from the up-and-coming rock band Goose. These guys are the whole package. Great songs, great musicianship, singing, incredible live show. And they've got what we call the heat. That's our string duster's term for when an up-and-coming band has a lot of attention on them. Goose is selling out shows left and right, and they are Crushing it every time they take the stage. So stick around for my interview with Rick and Peter a little later on. I want to mention really quickly that Inside the Musician's Brain is brought to you by Osiris Media, producers of all kinds of great podcast content, including Undermine, their new fish-centric podcast, which brings together a few different Osiris shows, including Tom Marshall's Under the Scales, which has always been a great listen. We are also brought to you by Americana Vibes. That's a new record label that the String Dusters have started. So keep your eye out for all kinds of great releases, merch, and more good stuff coming down the Americana Vibes pipeline. We've also got a great sponsor on board for season two. EMG is a company based in California that's primarily known for their guitar pickups. Family-owned and operated since 1976, all made in the USA. And recently, EMG has gotten into making banjo pickups. They have a few different designs. The ACB barrel is the one that I've been using in my banjo for a few years now. And amplifying a banjo is no easy task. But these pickups sound great. They're easy to install. They're not prone to feedback. And they're really, really reliable. So musicians, check out EMG for all your pickup needs. And a quick shout-out to my bandmate, Travis Book's cool new variety show, The Travis Book Happy Hour. He's got music, musings, and lots of great guests, and you can check that out streaming on Facebook Live. All right, here we go. Let's get into it. Lots to discuss coming off what I think we can all agree is about the craziest year that anyone can remember. Just completely unexpected, completely unprecedented, and we are still in the middle of this event that has seemingly touched every human on planet earth and if you survey the landscape of all the different industries out there performing arts and the live music industry especially has just taken such an incredible hit my heart goes out to all the different people who are involved in that world from the venues the crews the bands the teams it's just had a ripple effect on the whole entire industry But this industry is a community, and that community is strong, and it's been really uplifting to see bands raising money for their crews, all the amazing work that the National Independent Venue Association has done on behalf of all the great small venues across the country. So those are all really positive developments, and the music community is supporting each other and doing our best to hold together so that we're ready to come back full strength when the opportunities are there and what a moment that's going to be when live music is back full strength can't even imagine what that's going to feel like i'll never take one second on stage with the string dusters for granted ever again the reality for the string dusters is we will miss at least 100 shows, probably well over 100 shows, because things are sort of creeping back to life right now, and no one's exactly sure how the summer into fall is going to play out, and we're going to do our best to get out there and do what we can, but there's a lot of uncertainty still hanging in the air around this situation. So those are a lot of the big challenges, but as always, I'm an optimist, and even though this past year has been incredibly challenging, I think there are some silver linings that are starting to emerge here. I know one thing that I've definitely been pondering and have talked about with my bandmates as well is could this extended break afford touring musicians the opportunity to conceive of and design a career that's more sustainable, more balanced over the long term, and less dependent on getting out on the road and touring. For as long as we've been a band, the business of music has been all about live shows, all about touring. That's what we observed in the bands that came before us, Yonder, Salmon, String Cheese. And that's how our business is set up and that's really dictated by the reality that that's where the money's at and you need to make money to survive. And also consider the fact that you play a hundred shows a year. You only do an album once every two years. And so that's where all your resources are going to go. And of course, this is also tied into the rise of streaming services and the dip in revenue from album sales. It's all about the live show. And there's something very unsustainable about that. It's stressful to feel like you need to be on the road constantly. It's hard on relationships, hard on families. And in a lot of cases, it's just a band killer. Look at all the great bands that were around when we were starting out that are no longer together. So all of this kind of leaves you wondering, is this present day music business model conducive to supporting artists and bringing more amazing music to the world and how could it potentially evolve? And then we start looking at all the amazing innovations of this past year in the music world all the live streaming that artists are doing and the ability to monetize those streams. Everyone is figuring out how to record at home and there's all this new amazing music coming out. Lessons are huge. You can take lessons from just about anyone right now and you can even book a Zoom concert or hang with an artist that you love. So these are just a few of the innovations that are coming online and artists are all having a chance to figure out which of these forms of expression are meaningful to them. So that's all good stuff, but quick pause from that side of the the conversation just to make the crucial point that there will never be a substitute for live music and there will never be anything that compares to the incredible visceral energy of a live show, hearing your favorite music in a room packed with people. I mean, that is a spiritual experience that so many of us depend on That's not going anywhere. And I'm going to make a personal guarantee to String Duster fans out there that we're not going to stop rocking a ton of shows coast to coast. It just might be like, you know, 75 shows as opposed to 100. But we're eager to get back out there, I promise you. And I think it's really cool and meaningful in the meantime that artists are having this opportunity to develop these alternative skills, revenue streams, and potentially even find forms of expression that are really meaningful to them. And on top of that, maybe even more importantly, just to have some time to consider what our lives look like, consider a potentially more sustainable career path. We've never had that. And it's interesting, looking back at the advent of the dusters, I mean, we jammed our brains out, but we never sat down to think about what our business would be comprised of. That part of it was so status quo. You know, We put all that innovative energy into the music, but we just got out there and did what everyone else did, and hit the road, slept in the van, PB&J for dinner, make it to the next gig on time, mission accomplished. So now we've got some time to think about how we want things to look, and that's huge for us. And I think there's a great nugget of advice in there that's much bigger than just a career in music. The more intentional that we can be as human beings about zeroing in on what fulfills us, what feeds us, and then in turn letting that inform how we spend our time and energy in this lifetime and what we bring to this world, I think that can really lead to a lot of contentment. And of course, you gotta show up every day, do the hard work, you're gonna get your ass kicked, it's not always gonna work out, but spend some time trying to figure out what you love and let that be your guide. Okay, that's a good segue into my interview with Rick and Peter from Goose. We actually kind of get into talking about that. And Rick makes a great point about when it comes to touring, putting more energy and intention into potentially a few less shows could be a really meaningful evolution for artists. Okay, here we go. On to my interview with Rick and Peter from Goose. Alright, really excited about our guests today on Inside the Musician's Brain. These guys and their band have been taking the live music world by storm these last couple years with their incendiary driving jams, their amazing musicianship, and great songwriting as well. I've got Rick and Peter from Goose. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. I've been I've been checking you guys out. I'm a fan. The music sounds great. I haven't got a chance to see you guys yet, but um obviously it might might be a minute before before that happens. I've seen you on the computer screen, but I'm I'm waiting for the real thing. So
3: I've um, seen you guys a few times. I'm I'm definitely a fan.
1: Oh, awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll have to get some some collaboration rolling one of these days. There there was um,
3: actually one time when I was living in Colorado that I saw you guys play at a Rise festival. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, for uh, sure. I
3: saw you guys play Saturday night. And then the next day I got a text from my sister who lived in lives in Connecticut. Uh they were at like in Darien, Connecticut or something, like some beach show, and she sent me a video of you guys playing. Hmm. And no I was way. And it, Yeah, yeah, you guys so I guess you guys played a rise and then flew to you know, Connecticut or New York or whatever, and 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 hit that like Sunday show. Oh, cool! Do you remember that? No.
1: Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always afraid of that question when it comes. I, People are I, trying to get get me to recall tour dates and whatnot, but it's 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 kind of all a blur. But um, I definitely remember the Arise show. That was a that was a that was a good one, and um, on the home turf out here in Colorado. But I wanted to start out, I start a lot of these interviews by asking, and I'd love to hear from both of you guys, just about the moment when you, know, you, you sort of figured out that you were going to devote your, your life to music and that that calling was really pulling you all the way, that you were going to you know, drop the conventions and pursue a, a career as a player and ultimately as a band.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, at least, at least for me, um, my one of my my biggest moments was uh, a jam session I had with my um, my my two best friends from high school after we had spent like a semester at college and then came back for Thanksgiving. Um, we had a jam session in my basement and uh, we played um, Harry Hood and uh, Teakwood Bets by P. Groove, and uh, it was just kind of a moment where we all were like, "Whoa!" like. Yo, let's be a band. Let's, let's really, <laughs> let's really like try and do this. And we all kind of at that moment it was just kind of like a, there was a switch um, in in terms of like my life trajectory. I I was going to school for music business, um, and everything. After that point, I was just thinking about how can I apply this to my band. Um, and I did finish school eventually, and it was you know it was very good that I did. I learned a lot about what would we would he like what we eventually need to do as a band uh and it was great but that was that was a pinnacle moment for me and then i also remember um at some other point in college there it, it was just like i oh yeah i was working um i worked a summer for Dobapod on the road i was doing their monitors okay and uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun but then I, at a certain point i was like I don't know if I could be like somebody working for a band. And that was kind of like, unless it's me playing. So that was kind of like a, another big moment for me. Because uh, I was, I mean, I was like kind of steering myself down a, a safety route. Mm-hmm. You know, music business. I could work in management or, you know, on the live front or whatever. I was prepared. Had my degree. But at, at that point, I was like, okay, I actually don't know if I could do that if I'm really not emotionally invested um, personally well, invested in the music. So yeah, that was kind see, of a big moment. Seems like a lot of those
1: those skills and that education have come to bear because you guys have just so many cool innovative things going on, especially during quarantine. We'll definitely get to talking about all that. But you know that, that's one thing people don't necessarily realize about bands. You know, it's it's one thing to be a player or a songwriter or whatever, but you're a business owner too, you know? And and right. you can you can have a great team, but I think the more that those ideas originate from the band, the more sort of authentic they are to you and the more ownership you can take over your career, that stuff is is a huge benefit. So I get it, but you, you figured it out, man. You you made your way into a band, So so good work.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, it just takes a lot of hard work and just never can... Don't give up, man. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I always
1: tell people, always ask, you know, what's, what's the thing? Like, what's, what's the secret to success? I just always tell them stay together, stay together as a band. You know, if you, yeah. if you look at all the bands that were together, like when we were getting our start 15 years ago, it's, it's ultimately, it's the bands that, that stayed together that had a shot at building that fan base. But what about you, Rick? What do you, do you have like a moment that jumps to mind where you, I do. you know, really figured out that you, that you wanted to make a career of it?
3: yeah yeah there was a funny moment when i was like I was, I was a little younger i was like in middle school i think it was mid, probably in eighth grade um and i was hanging out with my buddy who was like he's my best friend and we spent a whole lot of time together and throughout middle school i like you know realized that I, I really wanted to play music and write songs and stuff like that and taught him how to play bass and i remember one day we were hanging out in like the living room just i don't know chatting about something and and i had this like this like moment you know it was just you know just like you said and uh like my eyes just like opened really really wide and i, I realized like this was like this was the this was the thing and this is what it was all you know i wanted to devote everything to um and i, I looked at him and I, i'm like yo like we we should do this you know like for real <laughs> And he's like, he looked at me like, I did like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, it's like, yeah, man, like we're doing it, like we're we're jamming tonight, you know? Our <laughs> buddies come over, we're gonna play drums. It's, it's, it's happening. happening. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, like that was a great impression. No. Like, really? <laughs> like, you know? So yeah, he didn't he didn't really you know know what I was talking about. But uh, that moment always sticks out to me, and I think from then on, it, I really kind of started steering like my high school career was was pretty comical from an academic point of view but from uh i kind of jumped on every musical opportunity i could from then on um you know stopped playing sports and started you know uh, allotting that time to musical things and whatever so yeah that was that was definitely one big moment and i guess another moment comparable to that was uh much more recently i was probably like 23 or something whenever i was living in colorado actually um and I was living in Fort Collins working at this, uh, this taco place and it was kind of right after um, this band that formed that I'd kind of put a ton of energy into and, and kind of really really put my, my heart into and, and a lot of resources, put a lot of, all my eggs in that basket, so to speak, and um, it didn't work out for you know, whatever reason and kind of was left a little bit lost and didn't really know what was, what was next and I uh, felt pretty defeated. And I was working at this taco joint. And um, I remember, like, wrestling with the notion of, of doing something professionally, not music, um, pretty pretty heavily. And uh, obviously not tacos. Tacos was, tacos was cool. But I'd probably, <laughs> maybe pancakes. You know, if I were, if I were to get serious <laughs> about it, I'd probably pursue pancakes over tacos. But um, yeah. I, and, like, ultimately, I, I kind of... Um, obviously decided that that wasn't in the cards for me I had to I had to keep trying so that that's actually you know when the goose name where the where the goose name kind of originated and it's kind of come to adopt that meaning for me personally it's kind of that moment of of like can can we do something else can I do something else and arriving at the the idea of no I can't
1: (laughs) (laughs) tacos pancakes or jamming
3: yeah yeah (laughs) all three
1: that's right well, you guys, you guys have have made a solid go of it. You know, I remember when your your name first started crossing my radar screen sometime last year, and um, a lot of times, like when I'm warming up for tour, I've got a little playlist here of songs that I'll jam along to, and "Butter Rum" was on there. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Hell a yeah. good. It's a good. It's a good groove for the banjo. So. Yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been awesome seeing you guys just come on so strong. And, you know, we'll, we'll wind back and talk a little bit about the origin, but I thought it'd be interesting to kind of dig into some of the stuff that you guys have done during quarantine, because, you know, so many people have their eye on the music world, and obviously we're sort of on this huge pause, and there's no live shows, which at face value is a crazy thing because so much of the business, as you guys well know, you know, up until early this year, was just all about playing live, you know? And recordings and a lot of the other efforts that you made as a band were all intended to support ticket sales at live shows, and that was the big revenue generator. And then, needless to say, all of that kind of came to a screeching halt in March. And some bands, like you guys, have really managed to continue to innovate and not only keep fans engaged, but it seems like you guys are... Growing during this time too, which you know, kudos to you guys because without being able to get out there and reach the people, that's that's a that's a tough proposition. But I I checked out you know the 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 Goosemist Twitch screen uh, stream that you guys did from Rockefeller Center, super cool. The Bingo tour, I know you guys did a big drive-in tour as well. I was curious, like where do most of these ideas originate from? Does that stuff come from you guys? Does it come from management? you know, in terms of the origin of the ideas and the execution of everything? Like, how did some of that stuff come to be?
3: Really like a synergy, you know? Um, each each thing is kind of different. Um, each situation is different. I think, like, f- for the most part, those three, the three things you mentioned that happened this year, it was like, you know, like Bingo Tour, for example. Um, management came, came to us and we're like, this is, you know, we're virtual tours that's what's next i mean we could you know everyone was kind of firing out these little one off streams early on march and april and stuff like that and you know we got involved with that and you know is is it was cool but um they were kind of saying that the next step is you know people are people are going to do virtual summer tours or whatever right a right. series of streams um and you know i think we're we like that was that was they were You know, we were really, really lucky to have them steering us in that direction as quickly and as early on as they were. You know, I I think that's where they they've been so instrumental during this year is like kind of just like guiding us and being quick, like responding really quickly on what you know what the what the move is, the right timing on things and and stuff like that, um, steering us in the right directions. But then, you know, once it the ball was in our court. I think you know for like the bingo tour thing, the whole thing was like, well, if we just keep doing these streams and we just keep playing the, the tunes and doing our thing over and over again, it's going to get redundant really fast. So like, whereas you know, what do we, what can we do to open the box and and like, you know, do just do something completely different with it? Um, and we kicked around a bunch of ideas, but uh, you know, eventually wound up with that one and kind of just. Uh, rift on it for a while altogether, just throwing different ideas around, and um, you know, gradually kind of came came down to something, you know, how it worked. I guess you know, figured out all. Can the you can you actually tips. break
1: that down for for everyone who's listening, like what the Bingo Tour was all about, how it worked, and like the interaction factor with fans?
3: Yeah, you you got that, Peter.
4: Oh yeah, all right. So it was pretty uh, it was pretty interesting. So. The, the idea was basically formed based off of um, we were going to have coach uh, John Lombardi, who was our stage manager, and also a c- terrific character within the Goose realm. Love him. Um, can't No Goose without him. But John was going to be on stage with a bingo roller, and each bingo ball had a different song written on each ball. So as he was rolling the bingo balls, he would pick the set list totally randomly. Um, and this is an idea I think that was just supposed to be like developed at a live show on stage. Um, and then wound up being a discussion for the virtual tour and we, we followed through. So it was basically, um, everybody at home had a bingo card, which is, I guess, uh, 25 total squares, one, uh, one in the middle, free space. So every night we played a free space jam. Uh, so everybody got their free space square. And then, uh, additionally we, we, yeah, we were just rolling balls and people had all the song names written on their cards, various song names. There was 80 balls total. So if you, if you got a bingo, which is a straight line or there's multiple ways to win, there was like four corners or a square. Um, you would just email us proclaiming bingo. And, uh, we, would we just went through the emails and figure out who won each night. And if you win, you win a prize. Uh, we had like merch packages and stuff like that. Um, it was a ton of fun. Um, but you guys were like, have a stream. Yeah. You
1: guys were broadcasting those shows from somewhere close to home there in Connecticut, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting factor of the whole quarantine thing. You know, I'm not sure people realize, but huge advantage for you guys all being in the same place. Yeah, definitely. and And that, that's not just <clears throat> with regard to streams, like writing, recording, pre-production, all that stuff. Seems like you guys have, have taken advantage of being all in the same zone and, and just keeping the ball rolling, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, the, the advantage of even like living, me and Rick living together with Jeff, uh, this year was huge. I mean, we were able to do acoustic streams when nobody was really leaving their house at all. Nobody right. wanted mm-hmm. to go anywhere. So it was perfect. Yeah. We were just at home doing acoustic sessions um, and then, yeah, planning a bingo tour. Which so is, when, so when the bingo yeah. thing was going down, you guys had basically 80
1: songs that were that were able to come up at any point. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, some of them were like cues. Like, you know... We we, okay. we we yeah whittled through like a huge list of like random stuff too you know like we were doing exercises that had this idea going with like the whole like bingo camp community rec like rec center type you know theme yeah the get involved theme um we there yeah there were some exercises it'd be like you know 20 push-ups or whatever so the and like the you know the way we decided to do it it was like the, you know everyone else had to keep playing so one at a time everyone gets off and does the exercise and then the other they run back to their instrument and tags the next guy but like the, meanwhile the jams kept going and they ended up being like really interesting jams because they were forced to change each time and, and like you know losing one of the key elements in the band you, you have to have to it's just, it was just it was a lot of fun <laughs> those some of those jams ended up being really cool
1: you guys had to get in shape physically as well as musically to get ready for yeah. bingo yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it,
3: and like getting your getting your blood pump in in the middle of like playing a set is is pretty funny too. It, it definitely uh, you know, definitely can keep your mind sharp.
1: And then like switching up instruments wasn't that one of the cues too?
4: Yeah. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, that was uh, a yeah. yeah, rotation jam. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, one of the other things I I enjoyed so much was during the week, we we played the bingo shows on like Friday and Saturday two back-to-back weekends, but then there was a week in between where we just had a whole bunch of, like, activities people could get involved in. Um, there was a trivia night. There was the jazzercise class, which was, I mean, we, it couldn't have been any better than what it was. It's just, like, <laughs> us all dancing in unison uh, led by a, a, group of, um, a group of dancers. And uh, there was a workout with coach, led by coach, um, Whole, yoga i mean it was just so it was so fun to like create all the additional content yeah. um because it was just it was just a fun way to spend our time all together and and you know i really hope people enjoyed getting involved in all the things we you know created so do you, do you guys feel
1: like all of these efforts have kept you growing during quarantine as a band
4: yeah
3: definitely it's tough to like it's tough to have perspective on you know like there's not really a centralized meter of how how you know of your of the band's growth it's yeah. it's, it's tough to but I, I think you know it seems like things are been going in the right direction in a good direction but uh it definitely yeah, helped with like
4: the crew and the whole team aspect of you know of our our whole like ensemble of people a whole cast everybody definitely. is just much closer now than we we were before yeah. and that was i mean that that week had a lot to do with it
1: well and it seems like, as you guys well know, fan engagement is such a thing, you know? And and again, getting back to like the music world before quarantine hit, we're all just out there sort of on the warpath playing, you know, 100 shows a year. And it's tough to to innovate in that context. You know, you finish one show and, then that, and you're already getting ready for the next show the next day. Exactly. Right. But having ways where fans can get involved, like, as you guys know, they, they love that stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been cool to see you guys have been, you know, I, I feel like from what I've observed kind of leading the charge in a way in, in terms of cool, innovative ideas, I'm curious to know, what do you guys think like will stick from all this stuff that, that has happened during quarantine? You know, like do you think that you'll continue to do more streaming, focus more on recording play, like, less live shows and tour? Have you realized new and different ways to connect with people or, you know, make a living? Like, what do you think that looks like?
3: Well, it, kind of combining the, the last two things you said, I think one thing, you know, that definitely is worth walking away from this from is, like, you know, having having more time, you know, being forced to have more time in between playing shows, you know, not being on the road, kind of burning yourself out all the time um, it, it, you know, allowed space to put a lot more intention in the things that we were able to do. For sure. Um, and, you know, I guess at, at the end of the day, I, I, yeah, I, I would rather do fewer things with more intention and more, you know, more magic behind it than, than just kind of like running, going out there and running yourself wild and, and just, you know, playing, playing every show that you can. Um, you know, making making everything making everything special, I think, is like a, a way more fulfilling way to go about things. Is it one thing I've walked away from this year with, I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I I've noticed that in the things that we've done too, it's it's a it's a definitely a time of perspective, you know. Right. And you said it really well. I think pulling back from all these live shows, having an opportunity to assess like what a career in a band Could be made of, you know, when you play a hundred shows a year, you struggle to even catch your breath when you get off tour. And that's been one of the really interesting things to observe, you know, even the, the people who I've talked to so far interviewed for Inside the Musician's Brain, just hearing people's new perspectives on what their careers could be comprised of and... It'll be really interesting to see where the business goes. You know, I, I think while a lot of people are having that same realization, you know, more intention, maybe potentially less things, but just putting your whole heart and soul into it, right. there's still no substitute for the live show, man. And I'm sure you guys are oh, feeling this, the same way that we are and just cannot wait to get back out there and play in front of the people again. Definitely. Are you guys planning more drive-in stuff? How how was that experience for you guys? I know you did you did a big like East Coast run like leading into Halloween, right?
3: Yeah. And how yeah. was that? They were amazing. Uh, we were. I think we were pretty like skeptical going into it, um, or you know hesitant at least. Um, because, you know, the, the PA situation with like car, car radio thing, and there was, there was a lot of aspects about it that we were, you know, is this going to be really weird? Um, but it ended up being awesome. I I think, I think we all had a great time and really grateful that everything ended up being safe and, you know, everyone, you know, to, to our knowledge, there wasn't any like issues with exposure and things like that. And, you know, is we're, super i'm super grateful that that is the case because it's you know it's a lot it's a lot of lot to manage doing those things but um while while being able to maintain a, a level of safety and do you know put on put on the shows like we did it was it was it was amazing
1: yeah i watched some footage from the halloween show and it's it's always going to be funny looking back on this stuff and it always takes a little getting used to you know i'm watching a video of you guys just crushing it throwing down on stage and the camera pans out and it's like two people in giraffe suits and then a couple (laughs) guys in flight suits just absolutely getting down you know and that's all there is going on
4: yeah it's like 20 feet in
1: front of the stage Props to all the people who have managed to figure out ways that we can get out there and play, keep it safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you guys have have uh, sensed that the fans seem more grateful than ever that bands and crews and production people are getting out there to provide a live show. You know, the appetite is like sky high right now.
4: Definitely. Yeah, very grateful to anyone who came to see a drive-in show and give that a chance. Yeah. Um especially the first couple that were happening over the summer. I mean, it was just nobody had really any expectations. Um the drive-ins themselves were created within like a month of when they started to actually have shows like this we played at Yarmouth Drive-In. It wasn't even a thing. Um I think they they did like they did like a two week build and then they had their first show. It was just like mm-hmm. everything was on the fly, adjustments were being made like every single show, and just the fact that like people got so invested and were able to you know trust us to put on a good show in that environment is a testament to the fans. Yeah, we're we're going to be seeing. I think we're going to be seeing a little bit more of that thing, you know, before
1: we get back to. To full force oh, de- touring. Yeah. yeah.
4: Definitely drive-ins in the spring and, and summer. I think they're gonna be plentiful. Yeah, for sure. And probably all with PAs at this point. Yeah. So I thought it'd be cool to talk a little bit about your guys'
1: origin story. You guys haven't been around for for all that long, and it's always interesting to hear kind of how things came together, you know, from a from a functional standpoint, but also. You know, I'd love to know like who are some of your guys' influences, not only musically but also in terms of like live shows and production and the vision of the band. You know, how would you describe what you guys are chasing?
3: Hmm. Why not you? Why don't you get in there?
4: All right. Um, well, I joined the band uh, at the end of 2017. Uh, it's actually like. My three-year anniversary coming up, um, and even though the band itself uh, I think was started in 2014, um, and seems like a young young project. Uh, in general, you know, Rick and I have both been working super hard within within past projects. Everyone really has Ben and Trevor both in past projects. Um, you know, so it, it has been more of a a grind. Then it it looks like it. Then it appears um, in terms of uh, you know growth and everything like that. And as as these things usually go, yeah. yeah as the, there's always know, a backstory. Yeah, it's pretty typical. But um, you know, it it kind of made all those all those grinding years uh, that I was you know on the road with my other band, Great Blue, um, kind of a great you know uh, place to learn some lessons before coming into goose and you know, without those years probably wouldn't have had as, as such a, I don't know. It just kind of came in with a, a good direction. Like what, um, what were the
1: lessons would you say that you've learned stuff about being on the
4: road? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean we were, yeah, we were doing some stuff on the road, great blue, but nothing as serious as goose. And it was just kind of like a good way to learn how to, you know, do merch and get an email list going and kind of like connect with the people that you're, you're meeting. I mean, this is all like young band stuff that is so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, how to engage their fans online, um, video content, recording shows, all that stuff. I mean, that was like something that was always, I was always trying to get better at while I was with Great Blue. Um, we were just, you know, on the road. and It was just like what, we we're doing what we can. Um, of course it just got, it just got better and better with Goose. There was more shows to be able to practice these things at and, uh, you know, dial them in. So that was kind of, you know, a big moment was when we were really just, I mean, Goose is like really playing a lot of shows in 2018 and, uh, really, really showed with how how much we grew in that, those departments, I think.
1: And what about, what about influences? Love to know what, what you guys are into, even what you're listening to now.
4: Yeah, I mean there's there's so many uh so many great influences that I I've picked up over the years. I I I was definitely big into classic rock when I was growing up and um then got into like Fish and the Dead and uh you know, then in college was kind of getting into some indie stuff, Mac DeMarco and Vampire Weekend, Tame Impala, um Wolfpack uh especially um after college and it was just kind of you know, natural trajectory of kind of getting a little bit more away from straight rock and roll bands into, like, a little bit more, like, indie kind of bands and, you know, Fleet Foxes and stuff like that. Sure. And, uh, you know, it was a, just, you know, really a big fan of, like, good melodies, good songs. It, now it really doesn't matter, like, what kind of style of music it is. Um, so it was just kind of like a... Everything was broadening as I was growing up. Um, to get to where I am now. So, you know, it's just a really eclectic mix of influences, I'd say, in my life. I read,
1: uh, I read in an interview with you guys that you guys had a big moment in Covington, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. yeah which, which is funny because the Dusters had a similar thing. You know, we played a show in Covington. This was, I guess, two years ago. And it was one of those shows where we got off the stage and we were just like, live album right there and that's oh, wow that, that's yeah. that's that's live in Covington. It was actually an outdoor show and it was just we one played of,
4: a show with you guys in Covington outdoors in twenty nineteen. That, that was the show. Paradise, Paradise. Yeah Paradise no way. exactly well wow. yep.
1: I still rock yep. that I still rock that that Teal Paradise t shirt that I got on wow. the event. No but the, I didn't get a T shirt right before you guys shit.
3: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. we were right before you guys. I
1: know, which is why I really didn't get a chance to check you guys out because we were doing our production meeting and we were sort of holed up on the bus, like going over the show and all that stuff. But, but yeah, it was was one of those nights where we played and the place was just blowing up and you know, didn't even have to listen. We were just like live album, you know, you guys, you guys had, I I read it, it was like a club show and it wasn't necessarily like packed out, but you had one of your first tastes of the energy of of a, a crowd that was just fully committed to the music which yeah that was that gave me goosebumps to read cuz you know we've all had those moments you know it's not necessarily you everyone remembers your first sold out show and but that those first shows where people are just into it on another level and that energy feeds back to the band and then I guess you guys went back to Covington not long after that and did like a two night run was that how did that go down
4: that was unbelievable I kind mean, of a
3: unique circumstance yeah. Um we did a, a tour out to Colorado and so we played Covington on the way there and the way back in like I guess what was that early 19 two yeah 2018 it was 18 early 18 yeah. So yeah, so we, we played Covington on the way out to Colorado, and um, uh, this group of friends had like listened to our stuff, saw that we were playing Octave, and listened to our stuff, and they they came out, and they're just like a really, uh, you know, special, energetic, um, group of of of, of friends, and uh, they, you know, they were we here we were showing up. Covington, Kentucky on like a, I don't know, it was like a Tuesday night or Wednesday night or something. And this crew came there wasn't a lot of them, but it felt like a lot of them because the energy they were throwing back was, was insane. Like they knew some of the songs and the songs they didn't know, they were just like, they were like getting so involved with. And uh, <clears throat> we came back two weeks later on the way back from Colorado and something, I guess the energy from that show kind of rippled out a little bit. And there was a lot more people between those two weeks. Um, and that's, so uh, the fire kind of started there a little bit. And then we came back that June, did a two night run and, um, you know, both those sh- shows were slammed and, and that kind of like really set a, uh, s- you know, set the model or like the, set the vibe for us moving forward of, of like how we were gonna, how we were gonna, you know, w- when, when people cared about like what we were going to do you know on on in the two set show when they were like fully engaged and there was enough of them to fill a room like how we how we were going to play that and how like what it was going to be like between us you know Um, i was watching
4: the uh i was watching the video from uh set two of like the second night of the two night run last night i just it just popped up and i was just like let me just check this out for a second and uh it's so funny it's very uncharacteristic but at the end of the show like rick you're just like you're thanking the crowd you thank the crowd for like a minute
0: no. you're just like
4: <laughs> yeah no i don't talk like Are nobody else is talking except for you and you're just like we love you guys like thanks so much for coming out like <laughs> it Whoa. sounds so it sounds so classic like you know yeah thank you guys for coming out like great shit <laughs> props to all our listeners wow.
1: in in covington kentucky for your yeah your good energy for, you know, string dusters, goose, and whoever else you guys are propping up over the years. They've, they've got it going on there. I never
3: talking to the mic for a minute. So, you know, there's something (laughs) special going on there.
1: Definitely. (laughs) And then you guys, so, so that was sort of a moment where you kind of had this glimpse of like, all right, we got something here and people are, people are vibing with the music on another level. And then, Take me through what happens after that. You guys start to really cause I I think when I first heard of you guys, it was when you sold out those two Bowery shows really quick. Mm, yeah. And, you know, cause that's that's the kind of thing, you know, word travels and right. people start realizing, you know, not only, hey, what's up with this band, but also if I want to go see these guys, I gotta get my tickets right quick, you know.
3: Right. But
1: what 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 did that feel like? You know, could you guys really feel that energy brewing and it was suddenly As if people were getting what you guys were doing, and then shows start filling up. Like, what was that trajectory like?
3: It wasn't like it wasn't a direct, you know, handoff from that like initial Covington moment. You know, there was there was a very much a slow burn after that for a year. You know, Um, it was it wasn't until the summer of nineteen that we played a handful of sets at uh, you know at festivals, and you know, I think that by that point you know like the the initial like wow of of that covington moment had kind of worn off and like we were just we just kept playing shows and there were some good ones and there were some bad ones and you know it was it was what it was and we i at least personally speaking i got like a little little bit immune to a little you know i, I got immune to a little bit of success you know like these these smaller club shows being like if we had a good one like it was like this like great like it was kind of just you know the slow and steady build thing that, that so many bands have to do and then you know that summer rolled around, and I I don't know like I don't know what it, what it was, why then what like what circumstances led to the way that it happened. But um, you know we played played Dome Fest, Pigeons Festival, mm-hmm. we played Peach Fest, uh, a couple others, and you know that that following month, like August, you know things just started to get real weird, and. It was, it was, what do you uh, mean by that? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think
4: it started to sell out. Yeah.
3: The yeah. The fall tour just started like one by one. Everything was selling out. We sold like 500 ticks in Chicago. I think we'd like kind of like, we, <laughs> we like, you know, it really doesn't even count, but we played Chicago like once before that. And, uh, we were one of three at the Cubby Bear. <laughs>
1: One of four. Oh, Dusters played. One of four. Four. Sorry,
3: one of four at the Cubby Bear. Oh,
4: Dusters played the Cubby Bear. Oh yeah,
1: oh
3: yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, we were one of four on like a Wednesday night or something, and you know, I think like four of our friends drove up from Covington, and that was it. You know, and that was our that was our history in Chicago. And then like all of a sudden, Rick almost didn't
4: make the show. He was flying in. Yeah. What did you have to go to?
3: Uh, It was a funeral. Back home yeah yeah but uh yeah barely barely made my big set one of four at the cubby bear (laughs) Um, but uh yeah anyway you know like we 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 had zero history in chicago and like sold 500 tickets to chicago we were like what the hell what the hell is that about you know um and one by one they all kind of just all those those fall tour shows started selling out and then uh i forget at what which point you know, we, we announced the Goosemas thing at Wall Street Theater and like, which is a hometown show for us basically. And, uh, it was like this theater, like 1200 cap and, we, you know, initially we are like, all right, if we can get like 500, 500, 600 people in there, that'd be epic. And then that thing sold out and we were like, what, you know, what's going on? And then they, you know, our, our new agents, um, at that time and managers were like, all right, we want to do like a one plus one. We want to put one show up in New York um and if it if it if it sells out well we have, like we have we're holding the next night in in Brooklyn as well and both those things sold out in like minutes yeah i thought it was like we you know we thought it was like a glitch or something like you know <laughs> yeah it was a like the bots. yeah it's not a glitch yeah.
1: guys you guys you guys rock that's why these shows are selling <laughs> out but that's a great feeling though i i remember i remember the i think it was probably the first show the dusters sold out we played seattle like one time and then we were playing this place called the Tractor Tavern. And it was like, we went on stage and we we're like, what the hell are all these people doing here?
4: Yeah, You know, it's sort of like a mystery. <laughs> and then
1: I went to settle up with the promoter. You know, we had, I don't think, we, we might have had our sound guy, Drew Becker, but um, he hands me a wad of, you know, like $4,000 in 20s. And it was like 10 times more money than we'd ever made for a show. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah but that's that those are the moments you know that's those are the moments that give you that confidence that give you that energy that circles back into the music and all the things that you guys do <clears throat> it's just it's just fun to hear those stories but i'm not surprised you know i like i said i haven't seen you guys live yet but been watching you know especially leading up to the interview just some of the shows some of the drive in stuff i checked out the goosemist stuff and you guys really have you know it, you look like you've been doing it a lot longer than you have, you know, and, and the songwriting and, and, and and all the elements of the band the musicianship are great, but the live show, you know, really, really stands out. And I think that's a thing that you really can only hone in with experience. You know, there's no way to practice or prepare for the environment where, you know, the energy is coming back or you're in front of the cameras, you're performing live, you're doing your thing. And I, it's curious to hear a little bit from you guys about how how you sort of look at your live show. You know, who writes the set list? How you sort of plan it out, and and then how things unfold in terms of spontaneity on stage. You know, musical cues, preset stuff. Like, take me through sort of a a typical show day. You know, from the time that that the set list is conceived to the the art of kind of. Letting that unfold on stage.
3: Yeah, it's. I think it. You know, it varies quite a bit. Um, you know, for a bit. You know, we, we usually usually Peter and I write the set list together to some some capacities, like a that varies. Like sometimes I'll I'll kind of come in hot with with a, an idea. Sometimes he'll have more ideas, and you know we usually will always confer with each other and kind of finalize it together. Um, that kind of thing, and then you know the degree to which it changes lives, you know, some, a lot of times it doesn't at all. And sometimes it does, you know, I think when it does, it's usually, it's usually a good sign when it does. Cause, uh, it means we're like, you know, feeling, feeling it. And there's like a direction there's, there's something happening. It's moving us in some way, you know?
1: So you mean um, like song choices will, will change on the fly.
4: Yeah, okay. totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of my one of my favorite things that, to do that we, we actually haven't done it recently, but is if you just go up there with a a big list of tunes and just like call them as you go. Yeah, I can't wait to like get back to a point where we're just you know it it really works well when you're like on tour or something. Right. Or when you're on I, I mean, your game playing playing more shows. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I would really like to do that again. Considering now we have a lot more songs, I feel like than we than the last time we did
1: it. Well, the, the songs are awesome, and the jamming, you know, it's it's a funny thing, the, the jam band world, you know, and we're definitely a part of that, and we definitely stretch out on stage, and we find, you know, a few times every set to really try and let the music take us places that we're not expecting, and, you know, best case scenario, it's all sort of dictated initially by the song, but then I feel like when things go really well, you find yourself, yourself moving off into spaces that, you know, you didn't even know exist and you guys have some really cool like i really especially notice the rhythm you know just the driving rhythms of the jams it seems like that that's something that you guys are focused on and now you have you have a percussionist in the band too right yeah so how how does it how does it go down you know do you guys have a plan for those jams do they typically follow a similar structure or is the goal to get off into zones that you've never been in before?
3: I think, I think we get off on, you know, doing like, pu- like putting ourselves outside of our comfort zone, I guess, you know, I like it. If we do the same thing on a jam on a song, like, a, you know, a certain number of times I'm going to get like, really, it's going to, it's going to start to rub me wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which which definitely has happened. You know, we've definitely fallen. It's 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 like when you do this type of thing a lot. It's it's really impossible to not like fall into these grooves. Sure. Um, and by that I mean, you know, like go like exercise the same as you start you know fall into a a pattern where you're you're doing the same moves on a you know a jam on a given song over and over again it just kind of gets comfortable like you know it works it happens one time and it's new and it's exciting and then it works and then you keep doing it and then it works for a while and then you start to be like okay this is you know this doesn't feel authentic anymore you know it's something that i I feel it's fairly often with stuff so I think like on a nightly basis it's it's just you know looking like keeping eyes open as much as possible for an idea that's different a move of move that's different from what we normally do you know any anything of that like that of that nature um is of interest I think So
1: does does that include changing keys changing rhythms to where you've totally moved away from from where you originally started
3: In some yeah in some cases for sure um, you know, I think there's some some songs like a lot of a lot of songs have like an ending and kind of like a there's there's a book end to it to some extent, and then a lot of songs don't and like you know we just then we play and we see what happens you know, maybe we take it into another song, maybe it ends some way that we you know don't have a plan for, but um kind of taking those risks has been part of you know we didn't we certainly didn't invent that type of playing but we have adopted it and are you know it's it's definitely a part of what we're doing
1: yeah it's cool to hear i know what you mean and that art of <clears throat> you know it's high risk high reward yeah it's like you're taking it somewhere and you don't necessarily know where it's going or how you're going to get home and it's cool you know one thing i really appreciate about you guys is to hear that formula in the hands of a band that really has done your homework on the musicianship front. I mean, you guys, you guys can really play and I appreciate that. What's, you know, background wise, do you guys, cause I think Rick, you said you went to Berkeley. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Okay. And what'd you study there?
3: I studied, um, I mean, you know, I was, a performance major. Initially, I was a performance major, or dual dual thing: performance and uh, classical composition. Because the performance thing kind of covers the jazz bases. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, lar- largely jazz centric for the most part, depending on where you kind of what you target. Which I was kind of targeting jazz for the most part, and then the classical composition kind of uh, I was just something I was interested in. It was you know a different realm. It was kind of like studying classical counterpoint and. And you know four-part harmony and, and that type of thing. Um, learning those rules um, was really helpful. You know, um, it's a, a, you know the a, a thing, an idea that you hear a lot in a, an environment like that. At least from the people who really know what's up. Some some people kind of like just stick with the rules and do that, do their thing with that. But like a, a lot of the people that I found really influential in that environment. Said something, said things to the effect of like you you gotta learn the rules to know how to break them properly. That's right. Yeah. So that's that's a you know a big consistent idea that that obviously um, sticks with you. So what? Um, a, but
1: yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: I was just I was just gonna. I also you know as, as time went on there I, I took some time off, went back and studied a little bit of production stuff, some more songwriting stuff, um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, that was pretty Let's much.
1: Let's talk about the songwriting thing because sure. you know that's that's a that's a piece that I think sometimes when your live show really shines, like like your guys' show does, you know, songwriting sometimes gets overlooked or people sort of misinterpret things as as like the the craft is the live show and and that you know even extends to include the live production. But you guys have a great songwriting pedigree happening too, and I'm just curious to know. Like when you guys are getting ready to make a record, how does it go down? You know, do you do you all write songs, and then once those songs are coming to life, how do you guys go through pre-production, and and how do you take a song that someone has written and turn it into, you know, something that's quintessentially Goose?
3: We we don't really have like the. Discography to uh, you know we we to to make any generalizations at this point actually it's kind of like we're in a we're in a weird spot with that it's not like we we haven't really been we haven't made a lot of records as a band you know Goose uh, technically has one LP out Um, you know we've released uh, five singles this year Mm -hmm. or I guess last year and this year I I think but. yeah, I mean the that process. There's there's like a lot of there's a lot of backlog that we're writing right now. You know, that, or you know that that's that's kind of been um, on on the thing. I mean, you know, I'm sure you can relate to some extent that touring. You know, that having such an emphasis on touring makes it sort of difficult to put a lot of time and energy into making albums, um, which is something sure. that we found at least. Um, you know. We've, we've been working on stuff for sure, um, in our, in our own accord this year and, you know, learning, learning through that process, um, which has been really cool. Like, you know, the big, big learning process. But I think as, you know, more specifically to your question, I don't really know, I don't think we know how Goose makes records yet, you know, we're, it's something we're very much in the beginning and beginning, beginning stages of and, and still learning and uh, what works and what doesn't, and how how we're going to continue to do that?
1: Because you guys had because that the record first record came out in 2016. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm curious, like why? How come you guys haven't had your foot more on the gas there? How, how is the the record thing has been more in the back seat just because you guys have been out there trying to do it live?
3: Well, there's there's been a record that has been you know in production for way longer than I. Uh, care to admit um, <laughs> because uh, you know the band has just gone through a ton of changes since sure since like that it, it was started. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of growth that that um, that has gone on during the past four years, you know, that like the, the lineup changes, like really significant lineup changes, and um, even since Peter has joined the band, and and like you know, we've really found our thing um found found our groove there's you know there's been a lot of developmental changes you know the the band I think has grown internally and like how how we communicate and how we play together a lot in the past couple years so I think between getting you know just being like one one show to the next getting always getting ready for the next show and next tour and next next run and all that that jazz everything associated with that you know between that and um, you know how much we are growing and changing between each tour, it, w- it was really hard to to kind of grab a hold of something, and um, you know there was also some folly in you know if I'm if I'm being totally honest about the the process and that like you know I think it was it was more the the realization that you know an album with a, a band like this it should be more about a snapshot and less less like a painting. You know, I mean, like you can make painting records. I I, lo- I just love painting records. You know, sure. Um, love people. Love how, when people really build records and and craft them like a painting. Um, but uh, it takes a long time, and it takes a lot of intention, and, and I don't know. It, it can it can really get ahead of you in in a lot of ways. And with where the band has come now, um, it's like you know we're ready for some for some snapshot records. I think. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, I look forward to. Hearing where that takes you guys, because I dig what I've heard so far, and I'm, I'm definitely, you know, sure that that there's good things coming up. So I wanted to ask you guys before we wrap up. This has been awesome talking to you guys. Before we wrap up, give me a, give me a crazy tour story. Everybody everybody loves some tour stories from bands that are out there on the war path. You know, driving their own van and and just crushing it. Through the night, and now you guys have got the sold out shows happening, and we call that the string dusters we call that the heat. You guys have the heat people are paying <laughs> it, people are paying attention nice. to you guys, and things are growing but what's uh what's some what's some hilarious
4: stuff that's gone down on the road well. We played on something called Rock Legends Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I saw
1: that on your poster. Three
4: nights sold out, Rock Legends Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> three nights
3: sold out, yeah.
4: Well, they sold out the Dude. cruise, but, you know, uh, <laughs> that was uh, one of the, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, we were like the smallest band on the on the cruise, so it what, was you, you guys Daltrey. aren't Rock Legends yet? Yeah, we are. We were on the cruise. <laughs> But, you know, Roger Daltrey's the headliner. Robbie Krieger, I mean, big, big time, big time stuff. I mean, legends in their own right, you know, guys who've been playing and gals for 40, 50, 60 years crushing it. Um, The cruise is like 4,000, 5,000 people. We were on there a week before our whole tour got canceled, so COVID was a... Everywhere. I'm surprised we were we, we oh, managed damn. to get off safely. That you guys you know, were was, on a cruise ship as COVID
3: was yeah, that that's yeah. the we nightmare. Were, <laughs> we were walking on that thing, like, is this the really bad idea? Oh man I think it might be.
4: It was funny. It was I mean, we it had was, two sets that were like late night, like eleven PM and maybe like ten <laughs> people showed up because I think most people went to bed pretty early. Our eleven AM set was was really our best <laughs> in terms of turnout you know, but we didn't really not know in we terms of performance. Into. We were
3: like, not, like yeah. late night sets at, at the cruise, like cool. And you know, we, we kind of like, you know, we ready to throw down for those. And then it just ended up reading like really beat. And then the Sunday morning at 11, it was like Saturday night after the set, we kind of like, we hung out a bit, you know, we kind of put a few back and had a good time. And next morning we all woke up and we were like, Oh, you know, and, Sunday morning, 11 a.m. set. We walk out to the stage and the room is like packed. Like everyone's like, everyone's probably like, you know, six Chardonnays deep already and like ready to go. It's like 11 a.m. on Sunday. We were like, oh God, like we didn't exactly put our best foot forward, but it was, it was all right. It was made for, made for a good, good memory.
1: 11 a.m. It's really
4: nothing like we've ever played. I was going to say 11 a.m.
1: on a Sunday is when the rock legends really soar. Absolutely. So you guys, oh, you yeah, guys exactly. had that to look forward to, you know, 30 years <laughs> down the line, but it's been awesome having you guys on the podcast today. I really can't can't thank you guys enough for joining me and just really excited to see where, where Goose takes you guys. You know, you've really, you got a great momentum right now and love everything that I've heard and can't wait to hang with you guys for real and play some music. We got to get some, uh, we got to get some banjo up in there. That would, yeah, that would banjo, be dope.
4: butter, rum. Let's do it, dude. I'm I'm down. Yeah, let's get it.
1: Peter, Rick, thank you guys so much for joining me, and uh hope to cross paths soon. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, man. Sounds good, Absolutely. man. Thank you. All right, that's a wrap on this episode of Inside the Musician's Brain. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Huge thanks to my guests today, Rick and Peter from Goose. That was a really fun hang. First time I'd ever met those guys, which is not the case with most of my guests stick around for the next episode which will drop on tuesday february 2nd and feature the incredible sarah gerose whose album world on the ground was definitely one of my favorite releases from last year check us out on apple podcasts subscribe leave a review and stay tuned for more episodes of inside the musician's brain brought to you by osiris media americana vibes and our sponsor emg pickups thanks for tuning in
2: To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. That's mintmobile.com slash switch. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking... I can't quite believe this is happening.
4: Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
2: Hey, you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman,